0: Gonna pull my computer out just in case I need to like look up a verse or something. Cause contrary to popular belief, I ain't got the Bible memorized.
1: That's really shocking news that every theologian doesn't just memorize the entire Bible. <sighs>
0: it's really disappointing. Tim so does, Tim does, but I don't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hurry.
0: Tim Tim, part of the Bible is named after him. Two
2: books, baby.
1: Welcome to TikTok Theology, a podcast that tackles the major trending topics on social media that concern the Christian faith. I'm Megan.
0: And I'm Steven. We know you can't form a theology in three minutes or less, but those videos can identify current issues. TikTok will give us the prompt, and then we'll do a deep dive. Thanks for joining us in this exploration.
1: friends welcome back to tiktok theology today we have some really 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 special guests that me and steven are very excited to welcome in and we'll introduce them to you in a second but today's topic is going to be um the lgbtq plus community and the church so we're super excited to get started with that
0: yeah so we figured this is a very difficult topic let's get some people up in here to talk about it you know what i mean that's the way you approach these things—not by yourself,
1: never alone, with people, with people, community—you I mean? might say.
0: So we were thinking to ourselves, "Who are the best people we can get to talk about this?" And we couldn't think of anything, so we asked for Tim. <laughs> no, <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> just message. So in. we
1: scrolled through the faculty <laughs> list, asked about LPU. fourteen people. Everybody
0: said no, and so uh, no, I am just kidding. Wow. This, I am, um, I am very excited. They were definitely, um, you know, right at the top the tippy top of my list of people who I want to have conversations with because they are wise. They're funny. They're cool. They're super young. They're around my and age hip,
1: and they do puzzles for fun.
0: And, uh, I'm, happy, <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to say that they are my colleagues and, um, and, and I'm really proud to be their friend, but let me talk about them. So the first, first, uh, guy here. So we have two guests and uh, the fellow that we got is Dr. Tim Lee. Yo. There you go. And he is recently christened as the chair of Bible and theology at LPU. I was not present for the christening. Ah, man. It was an absentia. You missed
1: out? It was really fun. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Sorry you we weren't there. Next time. Yeah, It's
0: all good. There was like ribbons and stuff. Dude, I totally missed it. We <laughs> so cut <yeah>. another <laughs> ribbon
1: in <Yeah>. your honor. <laughs> Anyways, um,
0: so, so he came, he came on board just this, uh, this fall is his his first time and it's really great having him on. Um, and, and just, uh, he's hilarious and cool and very wise and deep. He can speak deep truths into your life and, uh, and then you feel good about it somehow. You know what I'm saying? Like he can rebuke you, but you feel good. Yeah. He can do that kind of thing. And it says he has a great pastor's heart. Um, and he is also the pastor of Life Church in Lancaster, California, um, which I had the privilege of observing for a research project that I had this uh, summer, and um, and I absolutely loved it. His wife Sharon is awesome. They co-pastor together. Agree, she is awesome. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. She is the better half, so, so much better. Um, so uh, so that is Tim Lee. Welcome, Tim Lee. Thank you. Is there so any, happy Anything, to be anything there. you did I missed or did I get it all? You no, have children? You,
2: yeah, no, yeah, I have two kids. So Hannah's sixteen. Uh, just got her driver's license, pray for me. Which is crazy. Yeah, you got yeah. it. Goodness. <laughs> you got uh, it and Sailor's 13. So middle schooler and a high schooler. Awesome. Um, they love Jesus, which makes
0: me feel like a really good dad. So, All right. Yeah. You done good, man.
2: You Those done are the good ones, but
1: best but times of a, <laughs> of a girlie's <laughs> life, 13 and 16. Yeah, the easy years. Yeah. 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 The easiest time I've ever existed, yeah. honestly.
2: I, I, I figure since I'm doing the easy part of parenting, I'd come and join for this super easy conversation. But do you know, what I, like, yeah. I know
0: what I noticed when I was in your neck of the woods? They like you.
2: Man, I, I my kids actually really do like me. You're and right. And that's yeah. awesome. And I and I adore
0: them. Yeah. It's great. Being,
2: that's great. being their dad is the best thing.
0: Awesome. Cool. Now all of the listeners like Tim. Praise so we, God. We got them on Tim's side. Tim. Okay. And so. Um, Team let, Tim. <laughs> let me tell you about uh, someone else here who we have the privilege of here. Jennifer Thigpen.
1: Woo. So. Reverend yeah. Jennifer Thigpen. She yeah. does a
0: little bit of everything. She is the multi-ethnic ministry coordinator at uh, Foursquare Church for the, for our denomination. We are all licensed with Foursquare and she is, so she works for our denomination. She's an adjunct professor in theology and, um, here at LPU. And she teaches, um, also, uh, things about Foursquare, like polity type things. And, I do. and, uh, and so that's always really, really good. So she's teaching the future pastors that are trying to get licensed and stuff. And then she is recently an associate pastor at Pasadena Foursquare Church.
3: Yes, I wear a lot of hats.
0: Yeah, at the same time. And you wear them well, friend.
3: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: All right. Did I miss anything? Is there anything you want to add there?
3: I mean, I could probably talk about other things that I do, but those are the big three for now.
0: (laughs) Okay. Big three. All right, cool. So those are our guests. And so, um, none of them are experts at, um, none of us, any of us are experts at LGBTQ community type stuff. Um, we will reference some experts, Preston Sprinkle in particular, Mm -hmm. and we will talk about their work, but we're all involved in ministry. And this is a topic that's not like a small topic. It might be one of the greatest defining topics of the church in our generation of, of what's happening right now. And, um, and both uh, Jen and Tim are very thoughtful, articulate and gracious, but strong in scripture pastors that have to deal with this kind of stuff and and deal with um, in congregations and whatnot. So, um, and another reason why we asked them to come here is because we actually co conspired together about starting these podcasts. Um, We, we, felt like the Lord was putting it on our hearts. And, um, meanwhile, my initial conversation was with Tim. Tim had a similar thing. The Lord was putting something on his heart and then our Dean asked us to do podcasts. And we were like, well, we were well, already and thus thinking that the Lord, you baby. know what I mean? <laughs> and so we wanted uh, to do co-hosts and we had, um, some interesting ideas. And I thought, um, right away about Megan for TikTok theology. And I think you have proven how, um, how awesome you are to everybody. Who listens. And then, um, and then, uh, Tim thought of Jen, uh, right away. And I think that's just going to be fantastic. So they're going to start a podcast that's, that's going to launch in January. It's going to be called how to church. Yes. So it's, it's half to do with, uh, um, theology ministry and grammar, right? How to church.
2: Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. yeah we're going to spend an entire episode correcting the grammar of our podcast. <laughs> that's absolutely my
1: favorite pastime. <laughs> uh, yeah. I love correcting grammar. All oh, right. me too. I'm the person who's like asterisk. your when I'm texting people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're that. You're you the one Amen. You want to do
1: Great. yeah I and i am one of them it. someone's gotta do it i was a ta for a while i'm like Somebody's someone's gotta, gotta, gotta hit them with the asterisk You're. they're never gonna learn they it's true and one day it's gonna matter it's a public service that you're doing so i'm really Great. just it's serving it's work really megan lord's work praise the lamb there it is
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh too many puns this is gonna be like a four-hour episode if we don't get you're going gonna going
1: to edit the crap out of this
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right megan um, tell us why, why is this issue? I think we all know a little bit, but yeah. can you just put in words for us mm-hmm. why this is such a pertinent issue, why it's trending on social media.
1: Yeah. I think that there, you would be hard pressed to find anyone period, but especially in the church who isn't aware of the nature of the LGBTQ plus community and their relation to Christianity and the church and all mm-hmm. that good stuff. And, um, we are seeing, especially on TikTok, people who are like coming out in really high volumes, and people who are getting exposed to people as members of the LGBTQ plus community younger and younger, um, and so this has become something that has made its way into the church as people have become more comfortable, you know, living in LGBTQ plus communities, and there has been like a battle almost I think mm-hmm. unfortunately between the people of the mem- who are members of this community and Christians
0: like a culture war.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think that we'll dig into this, but I think that that does a really disservice to both <laughs> communities. Mm. Um, but there's been debates of like, Oh, is this the cardinal sin? Like, are you allowed, <laughs> like, is this like cancel out your faith period or, Oh, like your sin makes me really, really uncomfortable. So I don't want to look at it. So you can't be in my church at all yeah. or, you know, and so I think that it's, we've done a disservice as Christians, you know, in how we've engaged in this conversation, which is why I think that we're here to kind of hopefully draw as much of a bridge as we can because mm-hmm. the problem or the issue or the conversation, it's not going away. Yeah. And I think we need to stop being afraid to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why we're here today.
0: Yeah, I think we have an imperative to talk about it, right? Absolutely. uh, When a church doesn't talk about it, everybody gets messed up by it. When pe- people have to confront issues, they don't know how to, they don't have any guidance for it. People that are going through any issues don't have a sense of, um, of even their own personhood or, or being or whatever. So yeah. it's really, really tough. Now, I think this is going to be a topic that's going to come back in multiple seasons and probably in y'all's podcast too and um, and hit from a lot of different angles in different ways. So I think to delimit a little bit our conversation today, we're going to ask two questions um, or like two sets of questions, I guess. And the first one's going to deal with what does the Bible say about um the lgbtq um matters mm-hmm. and how then shall we proceed ministerially right so let's start with that i want to go and and Jen if you could talk to us a little bit, what does the Bible say about um homosexuality um they're not gonna say a lot about certain like like you're not going to see bisexual that term anywhere or transgender anywhere in the Bible. Yeah. Um, so do you see, uh, these as exegetically permissible? Like what, what do you, what does the Bible say about it? Can you just give us a little bit of background here?
3: Yeah. So when we think, exegetically, we kind of start from like, where are we coming from? And as a four pastor, what we believe, um, is more, uh, is very much in the traditional se- sexual ethic of, uh, marriages between one man, and one woman, and that anything outside the bounds of that is sexually impermissible. Mm-hmm. And so how we address, um, what does the Bible say about homosexuality and, you know, same sex attraction and, and things like that really comes back to this, this place of what we understand of the created order and really kind of wrestling with um, people through how did God create us? You know, that the redemptive work of Jesus is always trying to get us back to the originality of what God created us to be, who God created us to be. And so when we start with that, um, kind of the prohibitions that we see in Leviticus and Romans and other places really kind of respond to um, how is how are we called to live? How, Mm -hmm. how are we invited to live as people? Um, you know, you hear a lot of different approaches to, well, the Bible's talking about a specific thing in a specific time. You know, Paul was talking about, um, you know, non-consensual relationships and, and all of that. And, and so when we look at kind of the historical piece of it, we recognize that there is more to it than just, um, what we, what we've seen that, that there is a level of addressing same sex relationships in, you know, Romans one and, and other places that Paul is saying this is outside of the created order. And this is outside of what God has intended for, for men and women to, to live as in, in relationship to one another, especially in sexual relationships. So, you know, if we're asking like, is gay relationships, lesbian, um, relationships a sin, our, our exegetical work would say, yeah, it is.
0: Yeah. So just looking at, um, some of the arguments that we would say, and I think what you did was, was good is like, the first question is what is the foundation of who we are? And so it's an identity issue. Yeah. And the first part of that identity issue is that we are first and foremost, created in the image of God and we're children of God.
3: Genesis one and two really puts us in that place of this is who we were created to be.
0: So that does not answer the gender question, but it gives it a context. It gives it a Mm -hmm. bedrock, a a thing that we would start asking um, questions of gender and sexuality thereafter. Right. So, um, so that's really good. So what do you think about um, in specific, some would argue that the Bible writers are referring specifically to gay acts not, and so this deals with homosexuality, not loving homosexual relations. In other words, the Bible writers would have no idea what a, a loving monogamous homosexual relationship would be, would have been a foreign concept to Bible writers because the only type of homosexuality that would have happened would have been, um, acts and they would have been in, you know, uh, some kind of debauchery, you know, some, something bad going on. You know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah, I, you know, if you look at, I think it's Romans one that talks about um, women who traded natural relations for unnatural relations. Mm-hmm. Um, historically, as we look at what was happening in Rome, it, that was not a um, power imbalance. And Paul doesn't use any of the language of power imbalance that we see in other places in scripture. Right. And so even if we just start there in, in his addressing of what we would call lesbian relationships, that isn't what he's talking about. He's not talking about this kind of debaucherous, any type of, you know, um, violence or anything like that. Yeah. Um,
0: That's just the actual act.
3: It's just the actual act of this is, this is how we engage sexually. Um, And, and so we're having to, own that. And then he likens it later on in that same passage of scripture, men who've traded relationships with women for relationships with men and, and in the sexual act of men being with men. And that does not at any point entail some kind of, um, you know, violent, um power imbalance yeah. of a sexual relationship. So we, so we see these places in which um, there are moments where Paul is just saying like, it's, it's the act that is the issue that
0: the act itself.
3: Yeah. The act of, of, you know, women having sex with women, men having sex with men being outside of what God wants for people.
0: And that answers also um, the argument that it was some sort of pederasty. Right. So you're talking about the power imbalance because another argument is that like the homosexuality is referred to in the Bible was this essentially um, men, um, uh, you know, Gentile men enslaving boys and then having sexual relations there. So it would have been a peder- pederasty, but like you talked about, it was Paul mentions like specifically yeah. women having relations with other women and, yes. and stuff like that, that did not speak towards violence
3: or power. Correct. Correct. Okay.
1: How would you Jen like respond to, I think this is what I've seen at least that's gone kind of viral in different spaces is the fact that the word homosexuality was like something that was created thousands of years, like after um, the Bible was written. so the claim of like, the word homosexuality is never in the Bible. We're reading into something that kind of along the lines of what Stephen mentioned, like was pedophilic in nature. And so God's condemning or or the Bible writers are condemning pedophilia as opposed to homosexuality. How would you respond to that debate of, Oh, well, technically the word, I guess, gay isn't anywhere in the Bible. So what are we building our argument on?
0: And also just another sidebar um, that only Paul mentions it and not Jesus. Right. Jesus never talks about that.
3: This is true. Um, and so, on the one hand, yes, I would say you're right. Homosexuality as a word was introduced into the English translation um, much later mm-hmm. than what we understand um, Scripture to be. Um, I tell my biblical interpretation students all the time: every translation is an interpretation. And so, how that were how how the Greek was translated into homosexual, um, there was a reason for that based on what the interpreters were trying to do. But that doesn't mean that it isn't talked about, that the yeah. concepts aren't there, that right. that yeah. there isn't um, one, the sense of an imagination for male, female relationships being God's created order and, and what God wants um, in the bonds of relationships and marriage. Um, but also the sense that um, there are very clear prohibitions about sex outside of that kind of given order. Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: great. That's good.
0: Um, another, argument for, um, homosexuality, um, as, as not being a sin, uh, or another defense of it, I guess, would be that if you apply a sense of progressive revelation to the concept and, uh, often what gets compared to it is that of slavery. Hmm. So slavery isn't outright condemned in scripture. Um, but then there's also, there's a lot of difference on what kind of slavery it is more like indentured servitude than it is actually slavery on, 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 on uh, racial grounds. Like, right. the, yeah. So that's a big point there, Absolutely. but, um, but even still, so let, so the, the argument is slavery isn't outright condemned, but the logic of the Bible says that it should be. And so just, the Bible speaking of being in the image of God and then the spirit of God being poured out all all flesh. It's kind of like that last act of Christ before, um, he commissioned the church, right. Um, um, to, to carry on his, his work. That is, there is no slave nor free. And this also speaks towards what Galatians three, eight, when, when Paul is talking and, uh, and we talked about this in in another episode where we talk about women in ministry, Mm -hmm. he, uh, um, you know, there's a morning Jewish prayer that God, thank you for not making me a woman, a woman. for not making me a Gentile yeah. for not making me um, uh, a slave. And then, um, but then Paul reacts, which I think is the most egalitarian thing ever written in antiquity at the time. Like think about the context of when this was written and how, Yeah, but he says in Christ Jesus, there's neither, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so that's a very powerful statement of egalitarianism, clearly about power relations. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? All of them have power relations between them and those are all wiped away by the spirit. However, the argument can go that if this is a progressive revelation, that the logic of the Bible does say it. And it does say that there is neither male nor female, then wouldn't the spirit Pentecost wipe away these differences of even the, uh, I, I guess the, the constructs of marriage that were brought there. What would be your response to that?
3: Yeah. I think in those moments, I start to think about the words of Jesus and the sermon on the Mount of you've heard it said, but I say unto you. So mm. something like divorce is prohibited, but there is accommodations made for it in the law. And Jesus goes as far to say, but that was not what was going for you." adultery, you know, there were places that had been made, there are accommodations made in culture where Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust, yeah. like, and so there isn't this general progressive revelation where everything is getting to um, a more permissive space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when we look at homosexuality and we look at um, LGBTQ, when we look at that um, I would say that scripture doesn't necessarily lead us to the place where we can say that this is more of a permissive issue that, that things change over time, right. um, toward that, but that, um, we are being redeemed toward something mm-hmm. and the redemptive work is that neither male nor female puts us back in the garden because how they were created in God's image, male and female, and created in this, um, bond of relationship that, that is the thing that we're actually trying to get back to not, not trying to get towards a more permissive existence.
0: Um, I think uh, what you said was, uh, was really interesting. The idea that all things progress towards more freedom isn't there because you can, you talk about sermon on the Mount, like they were told not to commit adultery in the old Testament, but then Jesus said, don't even have lust in your heart. So that would be more restrictive. Right. Now it isn't. It isn't just a, a point of restriction. I think Jesus was talking about getting us out of a reality of a, of this sinful cycles. Yeah,
3: but it would um, look like more freedom in some ways, like being freed from lust as opposed to just being freed from adultery.
0: Right. And so I think one issue, and this is going to be like a topic for a whole other day. <laughs> and I'm literally writing a book on it. Is that in the West we have a completely different sense of what freedom is than what the Bible says. Yes. We have a a, a a sense of freedom that's autonomous freedom based on the classical liberal tradition where the Bible always talks about freedom in covenant, which is totally different. Yes. So that was really good. But Tim, what do you think? What do you think about um, what Jen is saying, the brilliance that she is um, imparting upon us?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, yeah, brilliant. I think um, it, when when you look at the idea that you have this kind of progressive freedom towards, uh, you know, well, we should not have slaves. Uh, You know, there's no male, female, all of that stuff. First of all, that wasn't talking about our sexual relationships. And so to pull that into the context of a conversation that was not being had in that moment Mm -hmm. is theologically dishonest. Um, I think we also have to, and you were sort of touching on this a second ago, Stephen. that, that to say that this one area people should be more free. Um, also, therefore implies that every other area of limitation mm-hmm. in order to live a holy and righteous life, therefore also like threw off all those constraints as well. Mm-hmm.
0: It's hard to apply that logic. Like, and yeah. like, why are you specifically applying that logic here? Correct. Yeah.
2: You know, yeah, you can't pick and choose um, which areas you want to apply freedom when scripture, if scripture is our standard, Mm-hmm explicitly uh, denounces same sex activity yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and names it as sin. So the narrative of scripture is moving towards freedom and the end of slavery. But and freedom
0: in covenant. So like even covenant, that, yeah. for, for instance, like being not a slave is because you are a covenant partner with God. Yeah and yeah. you can apply
2: the same thing to the uh, egalitarian conversation. Exactly. You cannot take that logic therefore and just jump that over to your sexuality. Exactly. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. It's just dishonest to do it.
1: I also think that we, where we get really tripped up is the fact that Paul's not only and solely condemning homosexuality, no. he condemns sexual immorality period. Yes. yes. Correct. It's not just anybody engaging in homosexuality, it's if you're engaging in any sexual activity outside of the design covenant in which sex and sexuality is meant to exist, then you're sinning, period. It's the same way that we would condemn adultery in a heterosexual relationship. It's the same way we would condemn premarital sex in a heterosexual relationship. It's not homosexuality sin versus heterosexuality sin. It's sexual immorality, sexual sin, period, is what God condemns. And I feel like we've gotten tripped up in this gay sex is worse than any heterosexual sexual sin and that's not what's being communicated it's both and yeah. both are wrong and so it's hypocritical to say oh well heterosexual people can like you know have adultery like do adultery and have sex before marriage but and they're fine but it's if you're socially... having if you're having gay sex then you're burning in hell on site and so we're really we've really gotten tripped up in this hierarchy of sin yeah. and, and we are shown over and over in the new Testament, especially that it's sexual morality. That's the issue.
0: Yes. Yeah. When they, um, when we are talking about one type of sexual sin is worse than the other. Like it is very, very clear that we are inserting our, uh, cultural taboos into it. hundred percent. So it is way more socially acceptable for a womanizing man. Yes. (laughs) To with charisma. Yes. To be seen as, even a heroic figure in our society. Yes. yes. Whereas, um, although the Bible says it as a sin, bro, you are sinning. You are doing wrong. Yes. <laughs> you know, or, or
1: pastor is getting removed for cheating on their wives and everyone's like, but he's such a good guy. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And, but we the there's somebody over in the corner who's, who's struggling with same sex attraction has engaged in, in gay relationships. And we are so quick yeah. To be like, no,
0: but the problem is, is, um, both of these are handled incorrectly.
1: A hundred percent. And
0: So, and that's, and I think now we're getting into the next question, which is a ministerial question. So if we take what Jen is saying to be true, which I do, and I think we all, all in here do. And I think this is, uh, um, how I, uh, how I interpret these passages. It's like, you just can't make Paul say stuff he's not saying.
3: Yeah. But we have a really like bad habit of doing that. We really do very much. So.
0: And, and so, so the Bible says what it says and we hold it to be authoritative. Um, so that is, that is a foundation that we have yet. Now we need to go to this another, the the next like really, really stinking important thing mm-hmm. is how poorly the church has dealt with these issues, mm-hmm. how poorly the church has, has, has treated uh, members of society that are homosexual, that yeah. are that uh, part of the LGBTQ community, how they have disenfranchised and demonized, and um, and recognize this, uh, causing double standards, causing hurt, and all sorts of stuff like that. Yeah. So, th- two things can be true at the same time. It can be true that the Bible sees this as a sin, and that we affirm what God says through Scripture is uh, is a sexual. Um, ethics is supposed to be a a covenantal relationship between a a man and a woman Mm -hmm. in marriage and that and, and them and all the rest of us being in covenant with God. We, we know this. Um, and, but we can also affirm that people should be treated with compassion and dignity Mm -hmm. and respect.
1: One hundred percent. And
0: what I get bothered by so much is like, as soon as you say the word compassion, uh, towards one of these social issues, people deem you as liberal, progressive or something which is so goofy. You're saying the words of what Jesus told you to be towards people. And then you're, you're called some kind of a political
1: thing. Well, you can be compassionate and loving to a sinner without affirming the sin. Exactly. And I feel like we are really bad at doing that.
0: So we, I think well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. And I think that's going to be um, in, in many ways, the more significant issue, not that the other issue isn't significant, but like, I feel like we kind of knew this. We just needed to, to like kind of state it. Whereas this one, it's like somehow there's some major confusion about how to, how to act, you know? And so Tim, can you talk to us this next question? How then shall we proceed ministerially? And I'm going to ask a couple of questions just so, so you can just kind of talk about it. If there is an agreement that this is a sin, which I think we do. The next question is how then shall we live? Is it a sin as in this is an effect of the fall, right? And so we need to navigate that. Is it an unavoidable predisposition? And then we'll get into okay, if this is the nature of it, then how do we react? So Tim, could you speak a little bit towards like in what way is this a sin? Like we know it's the act that we talked about and we know that the Bible condemns that, but like is it like a a heart posture? Is it like wickedness? Is it a a a predisposition because of the fall? Like can you talk a little bit towards this this stuff?
2: Yeah, uh so my area of expertise is in spiritual formation. So that's sort of the language that I tend to use. So I find it helpful to frame the conversation in the context of malformed desires. Mm. So sin is any time that I take action to create a world in which my malformed desires win the conversation of right and wrong between myself and God. It's mm. good. Uh, so so I desire to, now, I mean, we, we're talking about like sins that we don't call sins, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, to say nothing of the fact that 60% of current pastors in the United States have actively engaged pornography use mm. as yep. a sin that we'd like to not talk about, right? Yeah. So yeah. let's leave that on the table, but yeah. it feels like it's important <laughs> to name in a conversation <laughs> like this, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> definitely. Let's, let's name a different sin. Uh, let's name obesity as a sin, Mm -hmm. Now uh, there's a whole nuance of conversation in that, but if my malformed desire is, um, is leading me to the abuse of the body that God has given me, if I'm an embodied being Mm -hmm. and I want to honor the temple of my body, Mm -hmm. then when I create a world and then create habits where I get to dictate what happens with my body and I get to drive that uh, and I go, God, this is just the way that it is
0: deal with it. Mm-hmm. Then I've fallen into sin, um but that's also to say someone might have like a thyroid issue or someone you know like there's yes. like a medical reason why correct so and that could be speaking towards a disposition because of the effects of the fall, so
2: here's where we have to clarify where the sin comes in. The sin doesn't come in because I have a desire. I think desires were in the garden, mm-hmm. otherwise Eve would have never eaten the fruit, right she the 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 Satan comes in and plays with the desire that was already there in Eve's heart yeah and twisted it to get her to fall into sin mm. through the temptation mm. so the I, I really wrestle with the idea that that malformed desires didn't have potential to exist in the garden mm. Mm. otherwise we would have never left the garden yeah, yeah. right, That's right. Good. Yeah. so the question of sin is what do we do with our desires not are your desires bad? The, yeah. the answer, Megan, you have desires that are bad. Welcome to being a human. Absolutely. Right? This mm-hmm. this yeah. is just part of the conversation of being human. Yeah. Right. So I think it's a much more interesting and important conversation to have when we talk about the result of the fall yeah. to say that that sin is what we do with mm-hmm. my malformed desires. Or maybe I'll just say my desires because most of my desires as a human left to my own devices are going to be malformed. Mm-hmm. Meaning, less than holy as Mm -hmm. we're called in first Peter, right? Your God is holy, therefore be holy. So, so I fall into sin of all kinds. I, I just recently was praying, Sharon and I were uh, in the church and we were praying through the Lord's prayer. And all of a sudden the Lord convicts me of this place where I had judged a person in my mm-hmm. life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I had this desire to be right. And I they made a different decision. And and I fell into the sin of judging them and then distancing my relationship with mm-hmm. from them because mm-hmm. I didn't like the decision that they had made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to be right and therefore comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I fell into sin. So I, I know that feels like a big, giant rabbit hole, no, but, yeah. but it feels like you have to you frame the it. conversation onto the ballpark that uh-huh. says, what we're really talking about is what do you do when you want to do something and who gets to decide what you do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Christian conversation about desires is I lay my life down so that God gets to decide what I do with my desires.
0: But also when you lay your life down, Then you start desiring what God wants, what God desires as well. Yes, as we're formed into His image. Which
2: Stephen is a wildly important thing to say, because I mean, so let's let's back this up. No gay person got saved because they stopped having desires for people of the same sex. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they got saved because Jesus died on the cross Mm -hmm. and rose on the third day. Yeah, and the atoning work of salvation saves them. By them placing their faith in Christ, yeah. right. not because they stopped wanting what they wanted, mm-hmm. in a, yeah. in 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 relation to their sexual orientation, yeah. or desires, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it always comes back around to uh, the desires that you have, and mm-hmm. are you going to give those desires over to God?
0: Are you going to let God determine your actions? And as we're in covenant, or are you going to let your flesh? determine your actions. Who are you going to be subservient to? You're going to be subservient to flesh or you're going to be subservient to God. Right. Which on a, on a macro scale, every Christian should ask
2: that question in the morning and then, refl- <laughs> and then reflect on how they did Absolutely, before yeah. they go to sleep at
0: night. Yeah. yeah. Regardless of gay or straight. And that speaks to Megan's point. Correct. That these are all, it's all the same thing. The sins are all like that. And and even non sexual sins. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so uh, if, if you're not, if you're getting angry at everybody and, and speaking violent slurs towards people all the time because you're letting your anger dictate your action, you know, like you're letting your fleshly desire dictate your action, then you've done something that's uh, away from God's desires in your in your life in the, in the first place in the same way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's an important framework.
2: Yeah, so, so then I, I think to kind of land the plane on the, on the first part of that question that you asked, I, I think that we could say that the ministerial response should not begin with an outright expectation that that gay people stop having the desires that they have. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think the conversation about their desires isn't even the place to begin. That's right. important.
1: Absolutely. A- absolutely. I had a I had a friend who was like kind of living in like a gay lifestyle and then got like really intentionally saved, like knew Jesus and then like really had a moment with the with the Lord and and we were friends and, and they were telling me like you know, I, uh, my homosexuality made Christians really uncomfortable. And so that was the first sin they wanted me to deal with, but Mm. that was not the first sin God wanted me to deal with. And he was like, I had so much beneath that where he was like, the homosexuality was the symptom of a lot that had happened before that of childhood trauma and, and agreements with this and stuff with that. And he was like, the Lord worked on these things before we ever came up (laughs) to the homosexuality piece. And Christians want you to get rid of the gay. Like it makes them nervous. It makes whatever. And oftentimes I have found that the Lord is dealing with a lot of other stuff in people. Like
0: he's trying to get to the root of, yes, Yes. he's getting to
1: the root of the problem. And, and he went through this process of dealing. The Lord was dealing with a lot, that eventually the same sex attraction lessened and, and he was, and he's like, he's still working through stuff, but it was that process of God didn't want to deal with my sexuality sin first. There was other stuff, Mm -hmm. but we want God to deal with their sexual sin first. Yeah. And, and we need to, we need to be willing to hear, like if they're pursuing, you know, a life that is after the Lord, we can't impose on what, okay, well, you need to deal with this first.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think there's so much of the church needs to have a reconciliation with um coming back around to the idea the idea of desires, we need to reconcile God's desires yes. mm-hmm. with our own. Yes. The church is guilty very often of making a list and saying these are the things that you must do. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do these things, then you can't be one of us. Yep. Mm. And Jesus said, actually, there's a really good chance that none of those things are on my list.
3: Right. Right.
1: Yes.
2: I mean, the, the, not to turn this too much into like a sermon point, but like, wouldn't, prechaun, Je- wouldn't Jesus respond by saying like, I'll uh, throw your list out. Like I put you on my list yeah. yeah, and then I died for you. Yes. And we'll work out all of your stuff. Yes. If you would come alive by placing your faith in me. It's good. And that coming alive is very much in the Pauline sense. Like I have been saved. I am saved and I am yes. being saved. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I was a sinner. I was saved by grace.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I turns out still suck at being perfect.
1: <laughs> yes. And you're still
2: being saved. And I'm yeah. still being saved. And
1: all of us do, but I feel like Christians can sometimes like, just because our sin doesn't outwardly look like something. Yeah. That we can just, hide it. That we can hide it.
2: How wildly unfair is that?
1: How so unfair, unfair is that? Like all of us straight Christians have sin that we're not talking about, but because I can see your sin. Right. I'm going to judge you for it.
3: Yeah. sanctification's fine when it's progressive for me because I am straight, but it's not, okay, it's for not okay for you on the other side of that. Like that's so unfair. Absolutely.
0: I think there's also a point of like, when we think of compassion, it is very, very not easy. Like I can't imagine it. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't have, I've never had homosexual desires. I can't imagine what it is to have that fight in my entire life always every day, Yeah, you know? And so, and so when we have compassion for, towards people, it's like, it's very difficult for them. This is why um, some folks when they try to reconcile this and their love of God and stuff, they can actually have suicidal thoughts and, mm. um, and really kind of like they be brought to these things. Cause this is such a difficult upfront thing mm. that they're dealing with every single day yeah. of their life. Oh,
1: my friend has like, I get wrecked often talking to him because I'm like the, what you have to set down at the foot of the cross every single morning so much like greater I than am we so do. drawn closer to the Lord by how you live, knowing that you're giving up something every single day and I will never understand it. And it calls me to more to watch how he's living because of what he's processing. Mm. I,
2: I think there is a, a, a hopeful thing there though, Megan, because it's, that's actually the, the open door of invitation. Uh, number one, what you just said is you're in relationship with a person who, uh, who is wrestling mm-hmm. and, and good for you for be for holding that friendship and being the kind of person who can welcome in love but isn't that also on the other side of that door an invitation to say come and help me walk through this right um i i think the the conversation you immediately say i can't i can't understand that i've n- i've never wrestled with something mm-hmm. like that stephen you were saying the same thing although i know what it feels like to be an angry person
1: mm. Sure.
2: And if we say that there's a certain point where God says, uh, I, I'm actually not making a list and putting it in order of which sins mm-hmm. are right. worse than others. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my therapist told me very clearly, you have permission to be angry. The question is, uh, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, This is the biblical model, right? Let you, let yeah. You aim it? Yeah. What do you do? The Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Right. So yeah. I've had to reconcile what it looks like for me to be a person who has... A, an issue with anger. And Mm. if I don't ask myself the question every morning, what am I going to do to be a disciple of Jesus and go go to bed at night going, was I a disciple of Jesus today? Most of the time in the ensuing hours that I am awake, Mm. I will get angry at something because this is my left to my own devices, Mm. not surrendered to Jesus sort of conversation that I wrestle with. So I say all of that to say, Megan, for you and your friend, for example, I think this is a great ministry opportunity Mm. that we should... Um, maybe if we can level the playing field and say Tim's anger is just as much of an issue of sin yeah. as Megan's friend's sexuality conversation mm-hmm. submitted to the feet of Jesus, he can do what he wants to do with both of those yeah. sin yeah. issues, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, I, I was just looking at, uh, first, first Thessalonians four, we're told God wants us to be sanctified. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm he goes on to say, so don't let any sexual sin into your life, like deal with that. I think it would be reasonable for us to say, if God's desire is for me to be sanctified, I know what it feels like to be unsanctified in my issues. Yeah. I can use that then to elicit empathy towards a person. And have yeah. solidarity, even yes. if it's not the same issue. Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, you know what answers uh, the same sex conversation with a person who's genuinely wrestling with that? And a person like me who wrestles with anger as a sin issue recurringly in my life mm. is love. Yeah. Love. You know what I'm looking for is to be loved. What I want the church to do is to look at me, a, a guy who's 39 years old, who's had a, a history of, of issues with anger, and say, Tim, we know why you're angry. You're, you had a broken relationship with your father, and you had a history of father figures come into your life and then recurringly just be distant from you or fail you. And that reinforces idea that, that the world is a untrustworthy place. I'm an, I'm angry about that. Like I bring that to Jesus. And you're a British
0: football hooligan. Yes. I'm a
2: British footballer. So like, of course I'm not actually a footballer. I'm a football fan, but uh, we should clarify that before anyone expects anything from me. If they see me outside of this podcast, but um but, it's a lot
0: smaller than I expected,
2: <laughs> <laughs> but but all of that to say, the answer to all of our sin issues is not reason, right? And but, it's not even at the risk of sounding like a terrible person on a podcast about theology. It's not what does the Bible say about your sin issue. Hundred percent agree. It's, it's what does the Bible say that Jesus did because He loves you. Yes. Mm. This this has to be the ministerial question.
0: Those are the things when Christianity gets very complex sometimes and then it gets very, very easy sometimes. Yeah. Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's clear and simple and then wildly difficult to respond to and live out.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Here's one thing um, that I've, I've thought, and I've, I've mentioned this to class classes several times when we start talking about um, how we treat people. So I think that in society, in, in our church and stuff, we have this sense where we always want to speak truth to a situation and we're like, we want to reaffirm and reaffirm and reaffirm that we think homosexuality is a sin. Like, yes, I understand that. Okay. But like sometimes it's out of fear and the way people come about it and approach it is so hateful. Mm Mm-hmm. This is, you know, you ever heard the, the, the saying that said, um, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is sentimentality. I actually think that's actually a little wrong, a little misguided. You think about this truth without love is impossible. If Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life, mm. then that would be an impossibility. You may mm-hmm. be saying a fact, a factual thing, but truth speaks something beyond the fact. If I were to tell you homosexuality is a sin, and I screamed it at you and yelled at you and I, and I demeaned you or belittled you when I said it, what I am saying with implications is homosexuality is a sin and I hate you and God hates you too. Mm. Mm. But what is the truth of the matter? Mm. The truth of the matter is homosexuality is a sin, but I love you. God loves you too. And I will be there for you. Yeah. And that's a completely different thing. Mm -hmm. So you said the same fact, but only one of these was speaking truth. You know what I mean?
3: That's such an important distinction between facts and truth. And I think we've gotten so wrapped up and especially in the last few years where everybody's a keyboard warrior, right? Um, <laughs> that there is this sense of, well, I'm, I'm, I need to be truthful. I need to speak the truth that that's what God's asked of me. And the point is, no, what God's asked of us is love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Like Live the truth. That's what we've actually been asked. And that in that love in in my my love of god and my love of you as a person truth will come yeah like jesus does what jesus does yeah. and how arrogant of us as christians to believe that we can force people to change because of our truth more Mm -hmm. than God's love for us expressed through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus.
1: Absolutely. And people like God did not call you to stand on a corner and with your Turner burn sign. And God did not call you to insult people in the comment section. And God did not call you to call them alphabet people from the pulpit. He did not He called you into ministry. Unfortunately, that's from experience. (laughs) He called you into direct relationship with people. And I think that's what the church has a hard time with is because we're like, Oh, you like, we don't want to engage in relationships with people who are in, who are in the sin. And I think that's actually what God has called us to do is engage in relationship and ministry with people that don't look like us. I mean, Jesus modeled that Mm. he was having dinner with the sinneriest sinners of the day. And <laughs> like that's just that's just how it is. And and he was in there and he showed love. He wasn't he cool wasn't sin. he wasn't affirming all what they were doing. Yeah, but he was a he source was affirming them as
0: people, of though. people
1: who had dignity and who he loved and who he was going to die for. Yeah, and I think that that's what we need to be focused on as Christians and as church goers. <laughs>
3: yeah, well, and
2: then you see Jesus so often like where he aimed his issue. Was at the religious leaders.
3: Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, isn't it interesting how often we uh, we preach people into the kingdom
0: mm-hmm.
2: based on behavior management yep. rather than actually behaving like Jesus? And if Jesus did show up, mm-hmm. he would be way more liberal than we're comfortable with yes. <laughs> in our you know Western e- whatever. To clarify, he
0: wouldn't be affirming the sins. No. But he would be showing some radical compassion towards everyone.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: No, that's really well said. Uh, And and then I think what he would do is he'd walk into most of our churches and flip our proverbial tables because he would say this (laughs) place was supposed to be welcoming. And you guys have done exactly the opposite. In fact, Mm -hmm. you let alone welcome into into the building. Mm. You went out and hunted down all of the gay people and told them how terrible they are. Like, this is not at all what I died for.
3: Well, and I think, too, like we confuse welcoming with affirming. Right. And those aren't the same thing either. That's a good point. That, that you can welcome people in. Like, I love the idea that Jesus spent so much time at tables because it was the come and sit and let Jesus do what Jesus does. And he's going to love you into the kingdom. He's going to invite you to be transformed. And then you're going to see radical life transformation. Like you think of the it, the episode with Zacchaeus and he had this encounter with Jesus. They sat down, they had dinner. And by the end of it, he's like, I'm going to restore everything I took. Yeah. Yeah. Like what if the church became a place where we looked for welcome mm-hmm. and said, we trust Jesus enough. We trust the work of the spirit enough yeah. to do what, whatever God needs to do in the life of a person, regardless of their sin. But in particular, when we talk about sexual sin, absolutely. That
0: just seems like how it's supposed to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to, I want to, I I think we need to wrap up because this is going to be our longest uh, discussion to date, but it's also, it's because it's so important. It's so very important. And also Isn't it right, Megan? Jen and Tim are really easy to talk to.
1: Yeah. If we I could cut this off and we could just keep talking. (laughs) Yeah,
0: there's some some pretty cool folks. And um and so if you like what you heard and you want to learn from them, then you can take some classes with all of them. Not Megan. Except for me. But you will. I can feel this. Yeah. She'll be she'll be a professor here one day. Word. Um, so we are all part of the School of Theology and Ministry. And uh Tim and I are both chairs in it. I do worship arts, he does theology ministry, but we, we you know, we we teach a whole bunch of stuff all throughout the different courses. So and we love having conversations. So even if you are not here with us, please do have conversations with us. Talk in the comment section, whatever. We felt like the Lord put it on our hearts, not just to promote any school or anything like that, but because I feel like the Lord wants this to happen. So um I want to leave with one question. And um, so we'll just get like uh, some responses. Um, Jen was getting towards this a little bit, um, but I want to see if you have anything else to say and then we'll ask him and then we'll be done. So Jen, how can the church be a loving witness to those in the LGBT community while holding on to convictions?
3: I think it starts with again, holding people's sense of the Imago day that they're welcome because They are created in God's image and they are loved by God. Um, If I get to hold people out because of their sin, then I become God and it's no longer the church. Um, So I think it, it really just starts with welcome, learn people's stories, sit with them and be willing to trust the work of Jesus that he finished it and that whatever that looks like their journey is that you just commit to walking with them in it.
0: That's good. So it's relational.
3: 100%.
2: All right, Tim. What do you think? I don't know that there's a better way to answer that question than what Jen said.
3: You Don't um, have to outdo her. You, can just add. Would, <laughs> you know, the only thing He's I would going add to try it, though,
2: and then <laughs> and then I, I want to plug something. Is the only thing I'd add is coffee. Um, Amen. That these conversations are best done uh, imbibing a good cup of coffee, <laughs> or uh, or sharing a meal together. Mm-hmm. Um, in that's biblical. That yeah. is biblical. Uh, Preston Sprinkles books on this topic are so wildly good. And I think it's in a people to be loved where he tells a story about a friend of his who her model, when somebody asks um, can I go to your church if I'm gay or if I'm a lesbian? Um, Her response is that's a really important question and I want to answer it. Can we spend four hours together getting to know each other so that I can hear your story before I begin to answer that question for you. So
0: long time and relationships. Mm -hmm. That's good. So you're not dismissing people. You are giving them the credit, the worth of your time that they need. And I think that speaks a lot, right? We're not dismissing you. We're giving you our attention. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think that's, that's an important thing that affirms a person that affirms a a human being, even when there's difference, even if we come at a different place, if you can still feel loved, respected and dignified by our conversations, then I think we can get places, right. And we can be a good witness. Well, thank you so much, guys. This is a really important, such a beautiful conversation. We all need to have it. It's difficult, but it's okay to have difficult conversations. And it's okay to do it, but we must always remember in all things love and have this kind of demeanor that will show people dignity and love and respect. And um and I think you guys demonstrate it so beautifully. So thank you thank you guys for coming up on here. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next time.
3: See ya.